0: What's up, Browns fans, and welcome in to the OBR film breakdown. It is your Victory Sunday? Question mark. I guess it's Victory Sunday. Uh, we would typically do these types of reactionary, celebratory podcasts for your Monday morning, but the preseason schedule gets a little wonky. The Browns play on a Saturday night. This will not feel like Sunday to me. As you guys are listening to this, it'll feel like it'll feel like Monday. So Saturday night, not the worst time to play games because you get an extra day of recovery. But Cleveland Browns won 23-13. I was extremely, extremely pleased with the performance. I thought uh, Jacksonville would be a little further along in their process, would be a little more cleaned up. Um, but, you know, makes total sense for why they are sort of where they're at right now with, with the new coach, new regime, new playbooks, both sides of the football. And with that comes, obviously, a level of learning and experience together, a new quarterback all of the changes Jacksonville's going through, and and that you know it's a process. We've experienced it in Cleveland. I underestimated the level at which Cleveland would come out to play, which I should probably stop doing that. You know, at this point, these guys live to surprise people, and me picking against them in the pregame of any scenario right now is probably an unwise thing to do. If you did not, you should already have corrected and rectified the Twitch uh, following for our OBR account. You know, we did a pre-game and a post-game. We're going to be expanding on those things like crazy. We saw wild viewership numbers for both of those segments, pre and posts, and the Discord grew. Uh, over a hundred people joined the Discord in the game. So if you're not, do- if you want a, a, a more connected Browns family of in-game conversation, pre and post game, that is not NFL wide, but specifically catered to your Cleveland Browns fandom, that's where the OBR comes in. Have that pregame show. Discord chat during the game. We have a couple different channels you can chat in there. And then a, uh, a postgame show that has got all of it. The graphics, the replays, the player spotlights, the stock up, stock downs, the behind enemy lines before the game. It's all there. It's all there. And uh, I think we saw a really great level of support tonight as I'm recording this for you here on Sunday. And I hope that if you're not already a part of that, you do join us. You probably, if you're a duplicate listener, meaning you listen to the show tonight, you're listening to this now on Sunday morning, you're probably going to hear me say some similar things. This is for the podcast crowd. Try to give my thoughts. Unfortunately, as the NFL game pass structure shifts, remakes it to itself to whatever it's going to be moving forward, they used to have the live replays right after the game. You could go and kind of watch an unfiltered version of the game. It has commercials and all of that. Then they filter it down, and they have a full replay from the TV angle. They cut the commercials. They have a play script. You can jump play to play. They have a condensed game that has cut out everything in between the plays. It's just snap, snap, snap. None of it's up. They have two to four hours for the full replay. The condensed is the next morning, which to me does not bode well for the All-22 scenario that we are all still feeling very, very uneasy about. So... We will go again off of first impression and talk about things that I noticed, I liked, I enjoyed, and try to give yourself a nice little recap of the game. So as we kind of go through statistically, very very impressed with Cleveland's first down numbers, twenty two. I know Jacksonville got nineteen of those, but I think most of them were late. Some some drives that resulted in uh, some second half points uh, that, that I wasn't too concerned about. You know, I, th- I thought Jacksonville was as Cleveland. <coughs> sort of took less depth into the game and into the second half. Obviously, that depth got challenged. It was going to be opportunities for Jacksonville where C.J. Beathard, is an NFL-level quarterback, was 13 of 16, 102 yards and a touchdown. It was just always going to kind of produce that level of uh, a, a level of play. Jake Luton also went 8 of 13, 53 in a touchdown. So I just thought that was going to happen. You know, Browns can only go so far into their depth while well, Jacksonville has a bunch of fringe guys who are fighting for jobs and have spent a little bit more time and effort on the end of a lot of their position rooms with guys with NFL level talent, fringe talent, while the Browns are looking at young guys who could be potential players down the road. So uh, Cleveland goes 10 of 17 on third downs, Highly effective. Great screen game. I thought some really nice throws at the sticks and uh, they go for 360 yards. Anytime you're over 50% on third downs, that's fantastic. They were uh, they held Jacksonville under 50% on third downs, 7 of 15. Um, 360 yards for Cleveland, 302 for Jacksonville, 71 offensive plays. Jacksonville scraped together 65 by the end with a lot of their hurry-up stuff. Cleveland averages 5.1 a play to 4.6. Neither team rushes the ball well, 41 for Cleveland, 46 for Jacksonville. Cleveland throws for 319, to 256 for Jacksonville. Only three penalties, 26 yards for Cleveland, Seven for 49 for Jacksonville. No turnovers for Cleveland. The one interception by Richard LeCount for Cleveland. Two punts for Cleveland. 52.5 average to four for Jacksonville. Two touchdowns for each team. Cleveland kicks three of three on-field goals. And that yields the uh, nine-point victory. Well, should have been nine points, but uh, they they went for two, I believe, after the first touchdown to Jacksonville. Um, And then time of possession, 33.08 for Cleveland to 26.52. For Jacksonville. That's the statistical analysis. From a run game wise, Chris Taylor goes 6 for 17, 5 for 14 for Dearness Johnson, 6 for 12 for Johnny Stanton. John Kelly goes for uh, 8 for negative 1, which is uh, not very good. Thought he bounced the football outside to the perimeter a little bit too much. Thought Dearness was pretty sharp. Browns were very, very, very basic and just ran mid and wide zone schemes, a little duo mixed in there. Uh, I thought Jacksonville loaded the box and heavier personnel sets and Cleveland didn't really try to force uh, force things all too much in terms of being creative with the run game. They ran one power scheme that I thought it was like, okay, if they wanted to do this all game, they could go up and down the field doing some of those things. Ran for eight yards. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. The passing game was effective and efficient.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Kyle Alletta, 19 of 27 for 212, and a couple scores came in midway through the second quarter and was comfortable from the start. Case Keenum, 12 of 17, 115 against obviously far superior competition, and I thought, other than the first drive where he drifted out to the left and kind of put put his young tackle James Hudson in uh, sort of criticisms way thought he played pretty well was on time delivered the football where it needed to be for the most part he connected on some nice plays uh, I should mention to D- Donovan people's Jones who had three for 26 a fantastic uh, start to the game nice little slant route crisp slant route from people's Jones had a nice back turn back and caught it with one hand on an out route thrown behind him had a couple more shots he had five targets which is second on the team uh, for, for, for a couple more opportunities just didn't kind of didn't quite come down with those. Otherwise, receivers that were really effective. Davion Davis with a nice touchdown where he you know, got away with a little push-up and went up and get it. He also caught a ball over the middle of the field, I think, on a dig route, ended up turning it into some nice yards after catch. He ends up being the leading receiver from a yardage perspective, four catches, 56 yards. Demetrik Felton. And I will say, as we go through this, Davion Davis doesn't have a chance to make the roster, but he's got a real chance to stick as a practice squad guy. If he can keep making plays, keep making plays. That's what you got to do. To prove yourself to get a chance, you can develop over the long haul. The Viking connections for Davion Davis are very real. Kevin Stefanski likes him. Dimitri Felton, my opinion of that young man was I thought he had a chance to make the roster if he beat out Dearness Johnson as the primary running back, as the third running back, and then a wide receiver that they could sprinkle him in. The, I don't know where the big decision... It's been a big decision. People haven't talked about it enough for his career. Uh, they they have stuck him with wide receivers pretty much uh, exclusively. He All the way back to Sunday, I noticed that he was playing pretty much exclusively wide receiver in the Orange and Brown practice scenario at the stadium. So I'm like, okay, it kind of puts him in a bit of a bind for a position full-time with this team because how are they going to justify moving some wide receivers around? And I just was uneasy with the idea that he's a primary wide receiver, secondary running back, because they're going to keep Dearness Johnson. I just think that they, if that's the scenario, they need a third running back, and Dearness Johnson makes sense for that role, then how does Felton become a primary player over Kadero Hodge and Anthony Schwartz, the other rookie, for the fifth and sixth wide receiver spots? But... With the way Demetric Felton was playing in the slot, I mean, crisp routes, fantastic separation. Very on point in terms of where he was putting his feet in routes, in and out of cuts, making catches in difficult scenarios. The ball he caught on that fourth down, I believe, fourth down slant from the slot where he caught it with the ball well past his frame. Just a fantastic play, and if, if this is the building block for where he can be as a wide receiver, and I know his history is more wide receiver than running back. He was forced to do more running back things at UCLA due to some depth issues. If that's who he is, that guy's a, that guy's a roster. How do you not keep him? And the, and the trickle effect from not keeping, or or I should say keeping, Felton becomes, okay, so if you're going to keep him, does it affect Kadero Hodge? Does he become the odd man out? Uh, and that if that's the case, Kadero Hodge is a real NFL wide receiver. Somebody can benefit from his ability across the NFL. There's not a doubt about that. He can be traded for some position that the Browns could benefit from or a draft pick. So I don't know. I'm, try- I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. I know there's two more preseason games and a lot of camp left. It's hard to believe, although football is here, we're still a f- essentially a month away from the week one. There's a lot of time to cover here, and so much, as you know, can change in the NFL from – week to week, let alone multiple weeks like we have until the Browns actually do make that trek up to Kansas City. But the way Felton looked left me thinking, how on earth do you not keep him? And if you do keep him, it has a ripple effect on the roster. I suppose you could drop a tight end or you could drop the fullback and make Harrison Bryant a little bit more of that flex fullback. I don't I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. That's going to be obviously one of the developments that is going to be a decision that changes the course of a lot of players futures in cleveland and will have a big impact on this year and beyond but it's like i just left thinking like felton's got to have something here and if he does have something here then it's going to have some sort of impact on other people because you know kadero hodge is, is sort of fighting an uphill battle he won the wide receiver three battle i shouldn't say it that way he won the outside first replacement wide receiver battle last year he was a he was a guy who would come off the bench he beat out higgins and people's jones for that role at the start of the 2020 season, he gets hurt in the pregame for Dallas. Peoples Jones starts playing more. He gets hurt at other various points throughout the season. Uh, Rashad Higgins has more of a breakout campaign. So he's been passed, which is a bit unfortunate because I don't think it was any of his poor play. He made several great plays. I mean, think of the long catch on the Eagles game. He caught a double move up the sideline. Think of the, the fantastic Week 17 catch on the two-yard line when a, when, a, when Baker steps up in the pocket, delivers a throw behind him as he's sort of crossing over the deep middle, and he reaches back one-hand catch. I think I had posted that play on Twitter a long time ago when that happened, and they didn't really cover it very well on TV, but that guy makes plays. talk to Mina Kimes from ESPN. She's a huge believer from his time in L.A. He's a player somewhere. I just don't know where he ends up being a player in the, in the Felton ripple effect really has ramifications on what he is in Cleveland, because as we saw, he has to make every single play he can make. He had a a chance for a touchdown in the second quarter, I believe and initially looked like he secured the ball, but the defensive back, his name is slipping my mind at this moment, ends up knocking the football out of his hands. So it's like, he needs to make every single play he can possibly make to have, uh, you know, that impact. So, the impact that helps coaches decide, we got to keep this guy on the rosters. you know. So take that for what it's worth. It's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, otherwise, Steven Carlson, he got dinged up a little bit in this game. Mac Wilson's got an AC joint issue in his shoulder. They're going to see how that goes, what that keeps him out. I should kind of going deviating here a little bit, talking about some injuries. But Carlson had a couple catches. Janovich, a couple catches. Thought he caught the ball smoothly out of the backfield. Screen game was on point, so Kelly had four catches for 44 yards as a running back. Uh, as we mentioned, Dearness Johnson caught a couple in screen game and a swing pass. He had two for 28. Jamarcus Bradley, who, again, will probably be a practice squad player, but just like last year when they got in a pinch, can come up. He's he's a nice, young NFL wide receiver. He had two catches for 38 yards. The Browns have a bunch of guys, man. Even with Derek Willey stepping away from the game, they've got a bunch of guys. Johnny Stanton had a couple catches, 14 yards. Uh, Franks, the big tight end, number 87, had a couple catches, 12 yards. Rashard Higgins had a nice out route, I believe, in a key third down scenario for 12. Ryan Switzer had two for 11, a touchdown. Ryan Switzer's been in the NFL for a long time. Uh, JoJo Natson got some targets. Like I said, Cadero got that one target. But, you know, that's the extent of the offense. I thought on the offensive line, James Hudson had a rough first day. The NFL, fourth-round pick. There's so much development to happen there. It, again, reminds everybody to stop talking about trying to trade Chris Hubbard. They're not going to do it. He's the guy there. Michael Dunn again if you listen to the NFL coverage from uh, the NFL network which is localized to Cleveland, you'll hear Joe Thomas say he talked to Bill Callahan who said I love me some Michael Th- that guy is an- or sorry, I love me some Michael Dunn. that guy is a lock he's a very good guard. He gives the Browns a fallback plan whether they don't sign Teller or whether they eventually let it ride with Joel Batonio he is a potential piece. Somewhere. He's taken some snaps at center. He has not really done a ton of it in the NFL. He was a tackle at Maryland, has moved inside. But when he played in that Pittsburgh game last year, that wild card game, it was just like, who is this guy giving Cam Hayward fits? They like him. He's a lock. Blake Hance continues to get the second team reps, which ended up being really first team reps in this game at the other guard. He's out in front of Drew uh, Drew Forbes. Again, Drew Forbes multiple years away from the game now with his injury in 2019 and COVID list in 2020. Potential there. Do they want to wait on that potential? I don't know. I think he's a very fringe roster player right now. Maybe. We'll have to see. Nick Harris seemed okay. Got to rewatch it. Uh, the anchor for him is still an issue. He's just not big enough, so if he gets the wrong matchup, can be a problem for him occasionally. He still, I think, has not an uphill battle to win that second center job, but it's just not secure. And I think Nick has to keep playing well and proving himself to be the successor to J.C. Treder at center, he has doesn't he doesn't have any the problem with him he doesn't have any guard flexibility he is truly a center if you put him at guard he's a liability he's too small can't handle it so take that for what it's worth you just got to keep your eye on whether he is good enough as a solo center to make the roster uh, Alex Taylor uh, some some good reps some bad reps again to me definitely a practice squad guy I think you can get away with that again this year uh Col- Colby Gossett, I think got some more snaps number 72 with the uh the guard opposite Forbes again an okay but more practice squad leaning type player with this team uh Greg Senat got some snaps too he's just a mountain of a human being Greg Senat but uh did not did not make any any plays particularly that stood out to me I'll rewatch this and try to touch on offensive line play a little a little bit later in the week but for the most part I think Drew Forbes is the one who gets sort of Maybe outside looking in, I I think he does some things okay. The pass sets were a little rough at times. I don't love his center of balance. He moves well enough athletically. He's got enough strength. But, again, it's a numbers game at that position. I'm not sure. We'll keep our eye peeled on that. I thought Harrison Bryant played fine at tight end, had some nice plays. Uh, Like I said, Steven Carlson was hurt, but I thought when he was out there, again, effective enough. Uh, we'll re-watch all the blocking game as best we can from the TV view and try to, again, enlighten you on some of those things later in the week, perhaps why they couldn't run the ball would be nice to know. Defensively, the guy who stands out above all else, he didn't start, but I thought JOK stood out all over the field. He is a guy who, as I noted on the Twitch post-game show, he just plays the game at a different speed. When he processes things, and again, I know he wasn't in with the with the early portion of the rosters for either teams. He came in second quarter. He was still out there with people that mattered. NFL-level talent, obviously. He When he processes clicks and closes, man, he is unlike anything we've seen from the defensive side of the football linebacker or that overhang rover type player in a long time. Probably since the 99 season. I'm talking just, just sheer ability to do that. You know the way he blew up that that screenplay early in the game, the way he blew up that pass to the flat where he covered, you know, I think he covered something like eight yards in in one point oh eight seconds. He went from two miles per hour to fourteen miles per hour in a ridiculous time frame. I can't remember the exact things. Nick Shook from the NFL Network, who was formerly with the Browns, tweeted about it, kind of the next gen stats on it. That's the play that you need somebody on this roster to make. Jacob Phillips played Mike. I thought he played fine from a first viewing standpoint. He'll be uh, obviously searching for a role next to Anthony Walker in some capacity. But I don't know, man. Jok just a bunch of pop plays for a young player that's trying to 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 continue to impress as a second round pick. He had 8 tackles and a sack. His sack, obviously Joe Jackson got his hand on him. Uh, hand on the quarterback on the way by, but JOK was making that play regardless. Robert Jackson had six tackles, but he was the corner who was picked on. Probably one of the bigger stockdown down players. Just continually picked on. Felt out of position. Didn't trust instincts. Didn't look right. Elijah Lee took over. Played a majority of the snaps. Mac Wilson left behind. He had six tackles. Uh, Keandre Thomas, who again, a slot player who is is fascinating. He was playing early in the game. He's sticky in coverage. I thought it was interesting that Tavon Austin got him late in the game on a on a sail route uh, or a shake route, whatever you want to call, whatever you know the playbook verbiage calls that for Jacksonville, where he's pressing vertical and then sticks the foot in the ground and gets outside. You know Thomas was interesting. Throughout the game. I thought he covered pretty dang well. And he got beat for that touchdown, but then on the two-point conversion, came back and made such a great play ripping the ball away from Tavon Austin as it enters his hands to break up that play on the two-point. I just, that guy's interesting from an undrafted free agent perspective. Five tackles for him, one PBU. Javante Moffitt, four tackles. Richard LeCount again stick that guy at center fielder. I think he's got more upside and more worth to keeping him on this roster than Shelton Redwine is a second free safety behind John Johnson, and particularly because Sheldrick Redwine has not gotten out there to defend himself. He's got the ankle thing. How long is that going to last? LeCount's getting the snaps. He had almost an interception. He had again. He had a he had a sack. He almost had an interception chasing the ball down on the sideline from center field, ranging to his right. Uh, near interception should have came down with that. I'm sure he thinks that. And then he also had the uh, late in the first half uh, interception on the Hail Mary where I thought he undercut the ball arriving. He was the only one really aware of where the football was and, again, made a great play. Sonu Taki Taki got a bunch of snaps late in the game. He's continuing to try to develop as an off ball linebacker at will. He is your Sam linebacker. He will make the roster as that player who went an under an uh, underfront type guy who will walk down against bigger personnel 12, 13, 22 personnel, tight ends, fullbacks and be the third linebacker. He'll be an on the line of scrimmage player. He'll take on lead blocks. He'll set the edge. 15 to 20 snaps a game, that's what you want. He can play a little bit of will. He keeps getting work at it, trying to get better at it. He's probably talked to his position coach about getting those reps. That's why he's playing late, but he's not the future of that position. So he has a very esoteric role with the Browns' defense that he will fill. Greg Newsom also had a couple tackles thought. Greg Newsom played fine, had a couple plays where he clicked and closed, was close to the football, didn't quite make the play, but you can see the twitchiness. Was not afraid of any of the top players that Jacksonville put out at wide receiver. He did get beat on one. Super long delayed play that, that nobody got pressure on a third down on Trevor Lawrence and he was able to throw it over the top and Newsom just barely missed getting the hand in to rip it away from Marvin Jones. I wasn't too concerned about that. That was a super extended play. Not a normal play. You get your you get your guys Miles and and uh and Jadevian in there and, and Malik Jackson, you're probably gonna see a little bit more pressure uptick. Joe Jackson and Curtis Weaver. I thought Joe Jackson had a a pretty solid performance in first watch, created some nice pressure both inside and out. Thought he was fine. He's number 91, in case you're wondering. He's going to continue to to be a guy who's the third or fourth D end until Tack McKinley comes back, so take that for what it's worth. He could he could potentially be cut. He could potentially be kept. It depends on where Tack ends up. Him and Porter Gustin are your first up right now. Porter Gustin ended up with a sack. I should say Sheldon Day with that early strip sack, man. Sheldon Day rotating with the first team, creating pressure, getting skinny as the backup shade to Billings, but can also play alongside him. I think Sheldon Day is leaning toward a roster spot on this team. I just think he is. Number 92. He's got some long hair, creates pressure. I thought the, the interior defensive line, although nobody truly stood out, I thought they created really nice interior push and presence. And and uh, some guys, it's, every now and again I'd be like, all right, man, that's the kind of interior push and quarterback uh, discomfort I want to see from your interior guys. Togeye Marvin Wilson. We'll dig into them more specifically later in the week once the film comes out. It's a little bit more clear. But... Yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about Sheldon Day from what I saw. Andrew Billings played a lot, uh, who is obviously the Browns' leader in the clubhouse to start at Shade. I thought there were times where he looks like the massive mountain of a human being that can't be moved. And then I thought there were other times where I'm like, why is he being driven six, seven yards either in gap scheme down the line or being pushed into a linebacker's lap? That's what cost him a role in Cincinnati. It's a similar thing that Larry Ogunjobi was doing that was the Browns' justification for moving on. So I don't know if they just swapped out those guys, but... Andrew Billings has to be better. He's got to split. He's got to disconnect. He's got to do things to create havoc. Need him to be a little bit more consistent. Because when he gets it right, it's teaching tape. It looks fantastic. That's a guy to keep an eye on, too, obviously. They're playing him. They want to keep him in shape. They're not going to give him days off, especially with the weight he put on. Looks like he's gotten back into some pretty good playing shape, but he put on a lot of weight uh, not playing last year. When he showed up to OTAs, it was like, whoa, need that guy to cut some weight. Looks like he did. Uh, He's got another month to make sure he's physically right. uh, sorry, Um, Curtis Weaver, again, a guy who we heard about a body change, physically, whatever, dealt with injuries obviously last year and sat out uh, with the toe-ligament issue. I I don't know. I just didn't see it. I didn't see explosion the way I wanted to see it. I didn't see a level of physicality I loved. either. He had two tackles on the day, but he needs to be able to rush the passer with some success. And When I was watching pass rush, I felt better about Cameron Malvo, who only had one tackle, but – Malvo just strikes me as a guy who plays with more power, and they need somebody who plays with more power. So, I think Curtis Weaver's on the outside looking in. He's behind Malvo, Joe, uh, Joe Jackson, and and then obviously Porter Gustin too. We'll see if that changes from some of the upcoming games, but that's just the vibe I have right now. Greedy Williams played a good bit, took some hits on the shoulder, did get beat in an off coverage third and eight, which is something he struggled with and. His rookie season was handling scenarios where he had to play off zone, whether three, quarters, uh, whatever, and be able to stick the foot in the ground and drive on on down and distance situations. Not what he was best at. He's got to get a little bit more anticipatory on those things. I hope he can do that, need him to do that. I didn't see anybody between greedy and Greg Newsom, I didn't think anybody really made up a ton of ground in that battle. I think it's still very even for the starting role opposite of Denzel Ward. Uh, other guys to note, I thought Jordan Elliott had a couple flash plays, now wearing number 96, where he was getting into the backfield, creating some havoc, had a nice play down the line in run game. Need to continue to see him develop. He's in the He's, he's got a real chance to continue his career in Cleveland. I hope he can figure it out. I mean, he's a top 100 pick from the year before, I hope, I hope it can work out. I need him to work out so they're not giving up on that. And they they probably won't. Just need to continue to see Jordan Elliott uh, keep, keep working, keep grinding. We can hopefully see that. That should cover most of the defensive players from the game. Uh, Javante Moffitt was okay. A.J. Green had a nice pass breakup. I think A.J. Green, in my opinion, outside looking in, is the leader in the clubhouse for cornerback five, making the roster. We'll see if he can anchor that more with some more plays as we wear into uh, more training camp. Got to get again. Got to go back and watch. And I'll do a Monday. Probably do Monday offensive study, defensive study on Tuesday to give you guys some more perspective on all this stuff. I like to deep dive it, but those are just general first impressions. Okay. Uh, forced fumble was from Sheldon Day. Uh, I think that's about it. I think AJ Green had a fumble recovery. I believe a couple near interceptions. A special teams, the kicking battle, I continue to think McLaughlin is the leader in the clubhouse. He got the first kick. I know the doink happened from Cody Parkey. They were perfect on the day collectively. The margin for error is very tight. I just think McLaughlin is out in front. I think the football just comes off his foot better. I don't know. Just, just my opinion. More powerful leg, kickoffs in the end zone. Again, I'll rewatch it, but that's where my initial gut reaction is. Nice punting today from Jamie Gillen. A couple good punts. I liked his first one that was opposite side of the 50 and landed down inside the 10. That's where you want to be. That's how you flip field position. Make a guy fair catch it about the 10-yard line. No return. Great hang time. That's what you love to see. We'll deal deal more into special teams as we rewatch this thing. This is more of my gut reaction to how everything went throughout the day. People whose stock jumped up. Talked about those guys. People who fell back a little bit. Again, we will we will hone in on the offense and defense over the coming days to give you more detailed snap count numbers, performances, some data, all that stuff. We'll deal with it. We'll get some more quotes from coaches about what they thought about the game. But uh, as you are processing what happened here on Sunday morning, hopefully this gives you a little insight from my perspective of what happened too, and you appreciate it. I will do these for you every single game night so you have something to listen to, think about, Uh, before we dive deep into both sides of the football later in the week i think it's good to get your thoughts out on air so hopefully you enjoyed this hopefully you enjoyed the game again 23 13 final these guys are just well coached man said it in a tweet during the game they just feel well coached very comfortable in the system it's such a welcome change I, i could not be happier with how this thing started out no injuries nothing of significance we'll hope mac is okay hope steven carlson's okay But, uh, yeah, just a great, great, great start to the season. Appreciate you guys joining me. We'll be back tomorrow on Twitch. I'll be back tomorrow with another podcast looking at the offensive deep dive after I watch the film. Appreciate you guys. And as usual, go Browns.